Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my guest is Josh Levine, who is a principal at Great Mondays, a consulting design firm, as well as the author of Great Mondays, a book on how to change your corporate culture. In this week's tech news, Uber announced that they're going to allow drivers to be notified that pets will be joining the ride for a small surcharge. And they will also be adding a feature where a potential ride-along will also know that a pet is in the car. Twitter admitted to using two-factor phone numbers in their targeted emails. This is very similar to what Facebook was doing. It is not illegal, but they're getting a lot of heat because basically they asked users to put their phone number in case they got locked out of their account and using their phone number to unlock the account, but then using those phone numbers to solicit ads for you. And perhaps a sign of a either weakening economy or loss of strength in the tech world, there's rumblings at Uber from their employees that their coffee is getting weaker and their other perks are vanishing fast. Now, coming out of the tech industry, when high-flying companies used to offer a lot of perks and when they start to scale back, that usually is a sign of some type of impending recession, layoff, slowdown. I mean, there's a lot of arguments about Uber in terms of their financial performance, but those are just signs. Remember Toys R Us? They went bankrupt a little while back and they came back through a new parent company who bought them in bankruptcy. They announced that they're gonna relaunch their website with Target being their back end. So when you go to the new Toys R Us site and as you're buying toys online, just know that the fulfillment of that is happening through Target. And that's actually quite a long 20 year journey from when Target used to use Amazon for the same thing. In my final news story, Google's taking a lot of heat that they have been attracting more samples for their facial recognition engine. So in other words, they want more people's faces that they've been attracting those, especially with darker skin, because there isn't enough for what we call in artificial intelligence and machine learning, a large enough sample size. And how they did this is they offered $5 gift cards at universities and to homeless people in order to get more darker skin faces into their database. The Google spokesperson did acknowledge that it's happening and they said that they will be changing their methods in gathering this data. And I'm sure we'll hear more about this and that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Josh Levine, who's a principal of Great Mondays and the founder of Culture Lab X, a nonprofit He's the executive director as well. Welcome back, Josh. Thank you so much. So, Josh, it's so great to have you on the show today. I wanted to talk both about Great Mondays, your company, and Great Mondays, your book. But before we begin, I want to talk about your background. How did you even get started in any of this? 
Yeah. Culture is kind of a, well, these days it seems like an, an assumption that uh, is a, it's a good conversation, but it wasn't when I started. I started about 10 years ago, really digging into company culture, but it's not like I studied HR or went into, I studied organizational development. I was actually a designer, a graphic designer. Mm. And so I moved out to the Bay Area, to San Francisco to to do study design. And then I got hired by a brand strategy firm, did a lot of brand strategy, did a lot of coaching with executives and all of these brand promises that we were helping them make. It, it occurred to me that like we couldn't help them actually get to deliver on those brand promises. And so when I had a... Uh, career crisis, <laughs> a crisis of my, of my soul, I wanted to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I saw the opportunity to actually help organizations on the inside articulate that brand story um, to the people who work there. So it could be as compelling to, as it would be to customers. And that's how I started to think. I didn't even know to call it culture back then. Okay. It was more like something internal branding or something. And, and as when I figured out it was culture, and and that's what people would call it. I, I kind of stepped out into the world and I said, ta-da, I'm not in brand anymore. I'm now, I'm now a culture guy. And everybody went, what? What is that? And nobody understood it. And so for me, it would took five or six years before it really started to become something that was important. And luckily, I'm stubborn slash tenacious uh-huh. enough that I kind of stuck with it. I believed in it. And uh, that's how we got to kind of where we are today is is just learning and and thinking deeply about how to help uh, employees and contractors and executives and managers um, make better business decisions. What is it we can provide for them? How do they feel? You know, how do they how can they become part of the company and feel deeply invested in it and highly engaged called a uh, business buzzword, right? Employee engagement. That's that's the kind of the framework that we think about. No, that's fascinating. So uh, as a reminder, some people heard my story before. I actually studied organizational behavior, organizational development at the University of California, Davis, my undergraduate. And um, how I've applied that knowledge is uh, in the companies I've worked for, each one has a very unique culture. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about Wells Fargo before the bad news. Um, Wells Fargo pre-first interstate merger in the 90s. Uh, in the book, Good to Great, it was listed as a level five example with Carl Reichardt to Paul Hazen, the two executives at the time, um, your predecessor and successor. And then uh, my favorite company to have worked for was Cisco Systems, who just this week as we record was announced as the number one place to work in America or in the world, top place to work. And we can talk about a little bit later in the show, but it's the culture. So I do deals, right? I negotiate and now I work with startups and I work with large companies. We can talk about in a microcosm technology companies, how each one has a culture. So we can talk about how, uh, and these are all stereotypes and what people have written about. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about Amazon. Amazon has a very militaristic command and control structure with Bezos at the top. Uh, We can talk about, a company I've done a lot of work with, Oracle, and I'll say this tongue-in-cheek because I've done negotiations with them, um, Larry Ellison and Safra Katz, CEO and CFO, or now actually Larry's chief development officer, Safra's CEO, it's like emperor and empress, right? <laughs> uh, and you've got fiefdoms. Yep. Um, I'm going to be very careful. And then you talk about Facebook, and they have all these diagrams showing that the culture of Facebook, it's really like this web of intermeshed beings, and there's no clear... Decision tree. I mean, you think Mark's in there somewhere, right? But and you read about it. So you think about all this 
culture, I don't know if, I mean, I grew up with this. I don't know if employees and leadership actually think about the culture actively until they talk to somebody like you. I think that's exactly right. And that's part of my mission in the world is to say, look, this isn't just something that happens to you. This is something that you can actually proactively and creatively manage. That is uh, the new kind of fact of 21st century business. This needs to be something we need to take very seriously. And it is culture is such a key competitive advantage. I would even argue the only sustainable competitive advantage because everything else can be stolen and copied. And like you said, each each organization has its own culture. You, you can't just go, oh, I love Zappos. I'm going to do exactly what they did. Or I just read Laszlo Block's book about Google culture. I'm going to do exactly that. It won't work. Even if you could, it won't work. Right. And that to me is that's when we're talking about like it's not about IP law. It's not about it's not about, uh, you know, the the kind of the best innovation. It's a it's about a, a an, an environment and an ecosystem where people learn how to work together well and make great decisions. Well, Josh, it's great start to the show. I'm so happy you're here because I think it's a really engaging content. And we'll definitely be talking about your book, Great Mondays, as soon as we get back. If you have any questions or comments about what we're talking about today with Josh Levine of Great Mondays, email us at info at svn.biz or go to greatmondays.com and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Josh Levine, who's the principal of Great Mondays, a culture strategy consulting firm, and the author of the book, Great Mondays. Welcome back, Josh. Thank you. So, Josh, coming from you, an expert in this subject, what is culture? Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of people have a real hard time answering it. They think it's a fuzzy thing. They think it's, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, ping pong and pizza, you know, in the afternoon break. But ultimately, culture is the cause and effect of every decision that we make. Uh, It is a system. It's... um, it is an input and an output, and it, it is um, contagious, which I think is why it's so uh, insidious in, in, in its, you know, when it's bad and so powerful when it's good. Mm-hmm. That's, that is ultimately the, what we're looking for is like what are the inputs and outputs of kind of each decision that we make? And so then the question becomes, okay, if it's everything, then what? Like, how do you even start to do something about it? So let's get that into a little bit further. What is the approach? So I've outlined in my book uh, six components, and it's a self-reinforcing system. And the first three components, purpose, values, and behaviors, they are essentially how we help executive teams define what kind of culture they want. Purpose is... Your why. Purpose is the top of the mountain. Purpose is why you get up in the morning, why I should join this business, why am I working so hard? Values are our how. 
Those are the three to five most important things that we're working on right now as an organization, stretching towards. That's how we're going to get to the top of the mountain. I'm going to, as the leader, uh, as an executive, I'm going to say, hey, here are the boundaries we work on. Uh, We work in between. And behaviors are essentially the center point. That's the output. That is what we're hoping for. So that's the the behaviors are the choices that we make. So if you stretch a line between from values to to purpose, you're really going to start to see that's the kind of behaviors that we want. Now the second three part the second three components of the six, four, five, and six are recognition, rituals, and cues. Mm. And these are all about activating that culture. So just because you've defined your purpose and you put it up on your wall and you have your values and you list it on the back of your key card doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. It is we have to create um, an incentivization system that enables people, that encourages people, that rewards people for actually doing the things that we decide that, you know, hopefully making the kind of decisions that we want them to make. And so when we think about recognition and rewards, that's something that organizations have done since the first sales organization existed, right? Like that's what they want to do is they, they want to reward sales. But my argument is you've been doing, the, you've been doing it wrong the whole, the whole time. You actually don't want to only incentivize the outputs. You want to, you want to talk about how do you get more people to make um, values-driven decisions, Values-driven decisions, not just about the outputs, because as you mentioned, Wells Fargo and the scandal, that that incentive that was, hey, cross-sale as much as possible, and that's that's what we're going to pay you for. That's what we're going to reward you for. Well, guess what? Those people cheated. What we need to do is have a realignment inside of organizations and say, hey, look, managers, we need to actually start recognizing and rewarding values-driven behaviors. Well, you're making such excellent points because I worked at Wells. I left 20 years ago, right? And and what happened with the situation, the scandal that everyone knows about, the cross-selling of products that nobody ever asked for, they acquired, back to the shotgun weddings of the 2008 financial crisis, they acquired a former, what we call, correspondent banking partnership. So they acquired Wachovia which was an equally sized bank from okay. the East Coast. And that culture came from them. So when you do an M&A, I did a lot of M&A work in my career, um, large and small. The biggest part, back to your, your point about culture, is that when you have to acquire or merge with somebody, and this was government mandated, um, it's like getting married. Mm. So, so if you're going to adopt half your company with a certain sales culture and then everyone thinks, oh, this is great, the revenues are great, that's where you get misalignment. So back to the Cisco example, in the earlier segment, congratulations again as an alumni, they won for the first time best place to work in the entire world. There's a number of factors into that. Back on the back of the cards when I used to be an employee, they had all of our values on it, but mm-hmm. not just written. We actually, and this is pre.com days, so there's, there's some things going on there. Um, you have to live by example. So one of the key attributes we had was um, not being cheap, but being frugal. So the company culture, we could not fly business class, right? And that was permeated throughout all the organization. If an executive wanted to fly business class, they'd have to do it on their own or through points or whatever. Um, that's still in effect to this day. So now you think about what's happening in the marketplace today. I mean, back to why did Cisco make number one place to work? Maybe. Um, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, all these companies are in the news for you know, arguably questionable activities on the Facebook and Google side. A lot of negative press on a surveillance economy and what are they doing with your personal data? And you see employees being very jaded there right now. And I think that goes back to uh, really understanding what you said, like 
purpose, values, behaviors. What are what are the core of the people in the organization mm-hmm. and the output on recognition, rituals, and cues? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And and so so recognition is how we actually make make sure people understand that this is what success looks like. Now, that's not the only piece of the puzzle. We've got rituals. So rituals are actually how we build and strengthen the synapses of culture. Those are relationships. So the problem with most organizations and a lot of the questions I get is how do I scale my culture? And so what happens is you actually get um, the relationships start to degrade once you scale past 50 people, if you're talking about startups, because what happens is you only have so many relationships that you can hold in your mind. So when you get these different barriers that erect literally the, the cubicle walls to the different floors, to the different departments, to the different offices and cities, that's going to impede those relationships. So an organization needs to actually be proactive about creating, creating rituals that help people connect. Well, that was a question I had for you because you just brought up startups of organizations under 50 people. Um, how do you turn around the Titanic, these big, big organizations? Is, yeah. it, is it possible or is it something you focus on or you're kind of like writing it off? <laughs> it is possible. It just takes a lot of time and sustained effort. It needs to be persistent and consistent. And the problem with most organizations is not that they can't do it. It's just that they l- lose their attention, right? They don't, they're like, oh, what's the next thing? And so what we try to do is we know we can't make – when we know we can't make an effect at the grand scale, we actually work with independent de- individual departments or business units and say we're going to help you and start to move this particular – we're going to make an immediate shift here. And then we can talk about if, it's, if we're successful and people go, oh, what's happening over there? That's awesome. And we can say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let's also work for you. And that's really we, – we start we – start, you know, individual managers, individual departments. Yeah, it sounds daunting. <laughs> That's why I'm in business. <laughs> I mean, I've worked with very large, large organizations, and now I'm, as well I'm doing lots of startup work. So what you're talking about really resonates, and I can kind of tell where some organizations, for them to make a leap or a change, it's a leap of faith. Yes, absolutely. And that's why a lot of companies don't last very long. So – once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, special guest Josh Levine, who's a principal at Great Mondays, a culture consulting firm, as well as the author of the book, Great Mondays. And when we get back, we'll be talking about his book and how you can apply it to your organizations. So don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, I'm joined with Josh Levine, the founder and principal of Great Mondays, a culture strategy design consulting firm, and the author of his book, Great Mondays. So for this week's Cyber Tip, I have just spoken at a cyber crime conference with Elvis Chan, who's the senior supervisory field agent for the FBI, and made me think to remind everyone about multi-factor authentication. So 
Multi-factor authentication or MFA is like when you have to put your password into your bank account and then it texts you a secondary PIN number or you get an email and people think that that's the next great thing in securing your personal information. Well, the FBI just issued a statement that said cyber criminals are getting very smart in how to circumvent MFA. I don't have too much time to talk about it today, but I'll tell you that the two main ways of doing that is social engineering or targeting web code. Now, web code is when there's flaws in the website you're visiting, so perhaps a bank, perhaps a retailer, and they're taking certain amounts of information from that, or in social engineering. So like, for instance, you need to give up your street you lived on or the first school you attended. Well, you probably posted a photo of that on Facebook, and so they can probably figure that out. My advice on the information you need is to always make it up, and that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Josh Levine, principal of Great Mondays, the consulting firm, as well as the author of Great Mondays, the book. Welcome back, Josh. Thank you. So in our first segments, we talked about Josh's background, how he didn't start off thinking he was going to be a culture expert, but how that led to his passion in helping organizations understand their culture and what to do with it. So in the last segment, we talked about the six components that he lives by, purpose, values, behaviors, and that leads to recognition, rituals, and cues. And what I really want to call out, because I've actually read the book, is that it's very practical in that anyone looking at how to adapt their culture, there are actually worksheets and exercises and examples to really help you through that. So I wanted to talk to you, Josh, more about how to apply the book. But first, how did the book get started? Well, I mean, it's all part of kind of my <laughs> master plan, my scheme to uh, really help uh, advance this idea of, of culture in the business world. And um, I, you know, I grew up uh, under my first mentor, my first boss, wrote a lot of books, brand books. And I felt it was a very powerful tool for not only spreading a message, but also building a business. And so it, it really helped me focus my message and pull together the kind of stories that I think the world needs to understand in order to really comprehend, to grok why culture is so important. And so it was a, it was a labor of love. It was arduous, took a long time, but it's uh, something I'm super proud of. And uh, it's, it's been really doing really well. Yeah. Well, what I really like about the book is the ability to apply the examples you have. Uh, I, I want to bring it back because you talked about your first boss. I want to bring it back a little bit earlier because what I really liked, and I don't want to give the book away, but in the intro, you had your first example about a relative named Sam. So I wanted you to talk about that story. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I kind of, I grew up with a, the kind of Levine family lore and the Levine family lore was um, that my, my father was actually a very talented musician, still is. Um, and in, in high school, he played all sorts of instruments and he actually auditioned for and got accepted into North America's most prestigious music school, Juilliard. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. Like how could you, like, that's an incredible opportunity. I couldn't even imagine my own, you know, someone that I know, let alone my own son doing that. But what happened was he wasn't allowed to go. He wasn't allowed to go to pursue his passion because his father, who grew up through the Depression, said, you could, you, you only have three options. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, or, or a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. 
and you weren't he wasn't really smart enough to be either the first two so he's an, he he went to an accounting school and to me that really influenced a lot of how i see the world which is that i think we now no longer have to choose one of these three the three most stable careers we have the opportunity to choose something we love to do something that we you know we can there's so many so many opportunities to make money so many different ways not all of them fulfilling but we don't have to go to work in the factory we can do other things and so to me when i think about the world that we're in and the opportunities that we have it would be a complete just uh, like dishonoring kind of the opportunities the the evolution of capitalism has brought us to this moment of we can actually choose to do work that we not only you know, don't, uh, don't dislike, but actually love. And that to me, that's where my kind of the origin story of why I started to think about culture in this way really kind of came to be, how can, how can I help more people actually find and believe that they can life's too short to choose kind the kind of work that is just not satisfying this is such a great story, and I'm glad you're sharing it because when I read it, here's our similarity. So my father, who just passed away this uh, summer, growing up in China, he had a he he was a very talented violinist. He had a um, German, Italian, Jewish violin instructor, and he celebrates that he got beaten a lot when he was uh, learning how to play. <laughs> this is in China, right? Yeah, sure. So. When they left communist China uh, during the, the change, they got into Hong Kong, and my dad got to play first chair in the Hong Kong orchestra. Whoa. And that was his passion. He played at our church. He played at my wedding. He was an excellent violinist. And he said, Keith, and he, was, and he became an accountant. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, so that's amazing. <laughs> no, so, so applying your story with your dad, my dad coming from – China, Hong Kong to the United States, going to his MBA at Berkeley, he had the decision of, am I going to become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant? And he actually had that plan for me as well. And I think it was difficult being Chinese-American, and I always talk about my two cultures because 100% American and 100% Chinese. Yeah. It's this liberation, because I studied organizational behavior, it's this liberation knowing that, especially now, not just in America, but in the world, you can have all these options and opportunities to do what you're really passionate about. When I started my consulting firm four years ago, leaving corporate after 20 plus years, that was the whole idea I had in my mind. And so your passion around culture, writing your book, it was just so resonating to me because I had the exact same um, <laughs> upbringing. And so you're the, you're the Chinese American version of Josh. Exactly. <laughs> but, but it took me longer to come to the epiphany to go do my own thing. Well, then hopefully it'll take, you know, my my children and, and their peers even shorter, right? Like they can find that they can – or raising them already to say, what is it that you enjoy doing? What do you want to go into? What are you passionate about? And I think that dialogue is is becoming more prevalent, which is exciting. And that's really what's inside your book. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I, I try to talk a lot about how to not only um, – 
that it's possible to find uh, a, the kind of work that you want. But within your organization, how can you actually elevate that organization to be some place that people enjoy working? They want to come come to work. They want to actually do that kind of work. They're not forced to do it. And that is the you know that's really the crux. Even if you don't buy the book, that's what you got. That's the takeaway, right? Like that's the primary takeaway is that it's possible. It is possible to not only work for someplace that is, is is an amazing place, but to actually influence and change the kind of organization, change the organization into something, some kind of place that you want to be. Yeah, and I think I should bring up, you can buy the book. It's on Amazon.com. Great, That's right. Great, you should. You great, should. Great Money is by Josh Levine. If you hang out to the end of the segment and the end of the overall show, we'll give you an opportunity to actually win the book. So, Josh, what are some other key takeaways from the book that you want to impart? Well, one of the most important pieces that um, is, I think, really critical for folks to understand, and I think most have experienced some form of this, is the idea of cues. And the cues, which is the sixth component of culture, is really how um, leaders, managers, and organization can remind people about their purpose and values, about what they're trying to do. So the most common cue that pretty much everybody, I'm sure, that's listening to your program or has been, you know, corporate headquarters has seen is that that mission statement or that vision statement on the wall. So that's a cue. That helps us remember why we're coming to work. But we don't have to stop there. There's so many ways to remind people to remember that even though you get bogged down in the quarter end reports and the emails and the meetings, it's like, rem- remind me, why am I here? What am I doing? So there's two kinds of cues, behavioral and uh, visual. And so when we think about behavioral, are you the kind of leader that's going to stand up and talk about the origin story of the company? Are you the kind of leader that's going to rem- remind people you know, that you need to go out and meet, new- and meet someone new in another department? Are you the kind of um, manager who's going to get uh, bring people together and actually get them to connect in order to build trust and work better together. And so we need to fill in um, all the entirety of our business lives with these ideas of not just kind of the the organizational purpose, but personal purpose, our personal values, um, and other ways that we're thinking about how do we want to grow as a as an individual? How do we want to grow as a business? How do we want to grow as a, as a department? These are all things that we need to remember. And even though you set it up front, it's so important to keep reminding people. You can get really creative with it. I think um, one opportunity that I have seen wasted time and time again are uh, the names of conference rooms <laughs> here in the Bay Area. I'm sure you've seen them. It's usually like the name of the neighborhood or um, a popular landmark or something random typefaces. As, you know, I was at a digital consultancy, but why not use those as storytelling devices? Moments where you can say, "Hey, the name of this room is." Um, is uh, the Black Forest, which is where the company started. You know, the Black Forest in Germany, that's where frog design started. Oh, wow. And so they think about, okay, oh, it's interesting. I didn't realize that. And you have an opportunity to tell kind of story. So that's those are the kinds of um, simple, easy, inexpensive ways to actually connect with other people. Well, Josh, that's a great suggestion because I've named a lot of conferences myself, so we should talk about that further. <laughs> um, so once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Q with Josh Levine. 
Once again, you're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider, with Josh Levine, author of Great Mondays. If you want to learn how to win a copy of his book, stay tuned for The Pivot, where we'll be talking about culture stories. We'll tell you how you have a chance to win. So if you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with Josh Levine, who is a principal at Great Mondays, a culture design consultancy firm, as well as the author of the book, Great Mondays, which is teaching organizations how they can adapt their culture. Welcome back, Josh. Thank you. So early in the show, we talked all about Josh's story, his passion around helping companies maintain or adapt their culture. And we also talked about if you waited to the end of the show, you can learn how to win a book. So in order to win Josh's book, Great Mondays, email us at info at svn.biz with your story about what aspect of your organization's culture you'd like to change. Josh and I will be the sole judges of that, and then we will announce the winner, and then we will send you the book. <laughs> I'll, sign, I'll even sign it for you. And Josh will even sign it for you. <laughs> so Josh... What are some of the stories of culture, good or bad, that you've heard of? You know, there's one's one kind of uh, corporate lore, uh, uh, brand brand lore uh, here in the in the Bay Area that I think is really powerful, um, and that's the story of Blue Bottle Coffee. Mm-hmm. So, Blue Bottle Coffee started out as kind of this small hipster anti Starbucks, anti Peaks. Pete's brand, right? Like, so Starbucks was get your coffee as fast as possible. Blue bottle is as slow as possible. So I love that from the brand aspect of it. So very successful, starting to scale rapidly. And one of the ways that if you follow the coffee industry kind of playbook, one of the ways that you grow your business is by selling beans in bulk to Mm -hmm. other cafes and other outlets. So you're selling more product in more places. And you overroast them for to preserve them longer. You overroast them to preserve them. All that stuff. What happened is that that flavor and that taste and that quality, even that experience that Blue Bottle built its brand on, did not come through in any capacity. Uh. They even tried to send out um, trainers to teach the the baristas at the different cafes, and they could not get the quality right. And because it was such a critical part of the business, it was a really tough time for them. They were like, well, we've got the quality to deal with on one hand, but we've got the revenues that we're trying to grow on the other. As a matter of fact, they got venture funding at that right at that moment. Hmm. One of their values, they have three values. One of their values is deliciousness. <laughs> and what the VP of HR at the time told me was that, he went and took that to the, to, the, to the leadership team and he said, look, if this is one of our values, if this is how we're going to continue to differentiate ourselves, we need to take the hit and sacrifice half of our revenue in order to preserve the quality of our brand. The, the deliciousness is one of the, the only one of three things that we believe deeply in. And if we really 
really believe in that corporate value, this is the right thing to do. And they made that hard business decision. And the good news is they actually were able to scale in a different way. They didn't go by the best, the, you know, the best practices mm-hmm. of the coffee business. They didn't try to Starbucks the heck out of it. They, they scaled and then they, they actually, the founders and the investors had a successful exit. They're now then sold to, to Nestle just a few years ago. And they are continue to do, you know, actually pretty good coffee, even at their scale. Um, but it's all highly controlled and they know, everybody just knows that part of that process is that deliciousness and we've got to preserve that at any cost. That's interesting. So they are, they, they did scale though. They I w- did. I wonder how they get the dollop of butter in that. <laughs> in that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, my now question is like, are we going to start seeing the uh, blue bottle brand on the little instant coffee K-cups or whatever it is, the oh, Nestle yeah. cup, right? Like that's, ne- that, I saw that, yeah. Y- yeah, you sell the brand. So that's the, that's the question that I have, right? Like you've got Starbucks, like Frappuccino coffee in the fridge, uh, you know, coffee ice cream. So is Nestle, is that what Nestle's going to do? We'll have to see. You would but, totally, yeah, you would totally dilute the brand if you did that. Of course, but that's that's their, that's how they do it. So, so the only other story similar uh, many years ago, and again, I, I'm intolerant to alcohol. I can't, I can't drink it. But Guinness, in order to keep the head on the beer, put CO2 cartridges in the can. Yeah. That's right, exactly. And so the, that, that was an extra expense. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's the analogy I can think of. That's right, exactly. Right. So Josh, just with the minute we have left, what are some thoughts for people to encourage them to really actively think about culture for the organization? You can't steal it from anywhere else. You can learn lots of different things by um, visiting other organizations, reading my book, reading other culture books. But what you have to understand is that you have to be creative in imagining your own, what your own culture needs to be. You have to use those exercises that I outline and say, what is your purpose? What is your, what are your values? And even if you aren't the CEO, you can do it for your own business unit, your own team of five, even, or you even yourself. I, I misquote Gandhi in the book and I say, be the, be the culture change you want to see in the world. <laughs> and so that's, to me, that's what Um, this is all about is I want to actually change how things are. So I need to change how I am and you don't need to wait for the permission from, from on top. Well, that Josh, thanks again for being on today's show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. As a reminder, if you want to win a copy of his book, please email us at info at svn.biz with your story about what aspect of the culture you'd like to change in your organization. To find out more about Josh, go to his website, greatmondays.com. Lots of free resources on culture And you can find out more about his book there. Always know that you're able to download our podcast to listen to any of the past shows. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll see you next week. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 